0: Hello, and welcome to Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking. Thanks for joining us. I'm Malcolm Borthwick, Managing Editor of Intellectual Capital at Bailey Gifford. These are turbulent times for investors. During the past few weeks, we've seen dramatic falls in global stock markets, even by historic standards. Bailey Gifford was founded in 1908. It has survived the Great Depression, two world wars, and numerous stock market crashes. So what has more than a century of investing taught us about how to navigate crises like this? I'm joined by Scott Nisbet, who's a partner at Bailey Gifford. But before we start, some important information. Please remember that as with all investments, your capital is at risk. Scott, you joined Bailey Gifford in 1996. How does this crisis compare to others?
1: Well, as you alluded to, Malcolm, we've been through a lot of crises before I joined in 1996. But even since then, you start looking back and you think, oh, 1998 was the Asian and Russian debt crisis and long-term capital management. 2001, it was the tech bubble bursting, though, uh, you know, hindsight might say that maybe that's not the most accurate description of it. 2008, the global financial crisis. Now we're in this, there've been other things in between, like SARS. You start thinking, wow, there have been a lot of crises, um, and yet over the last 25 years, the the value of equities has gone up. So I would say that each one is different in at least three different ways. But the first two ways, the first two levels of difference, people never talk about. And the third level of difference is the crisis itself, and, and people talk about that. But there's two levels before you even get there that tend to be ignored. And what are those different levels? Well, the first level is, is is a personal one. I mean, in 1998, I was a, a third-year investment analyst at Bailey Gifford. I had no idea what was going on. I mean, I knew that the stocks that I'd written on and recommended were gone down in price, but I didn't really get what was going on. And I think that's quite an important point because, you know, nowadays, you know, I guess I'm one of the, the quite senior people at, at Bailey Gifford, but there are a lot of people in, in, in everybody's firms who haven't been there before. So you need to bear in mind that, Personally, people are at different stages in their career. They have different levels of experience and and therefore they will be experiencing the crisis differently each time. So the, the first level is the personal level. The second one is the firm level. Bailey Gifford is not the same firm as it was in 1998 or 2008.
0: And how do you help people on a personal level who maybe haven't been through a crisis before?
1: As I was uh, alluding to with the firm, um, I mean, there's certain constants with Bailey Gifford. So we remain an unlimited liability partnership. Um, so we're very aligned with our, our clients' interests. Um, we remain a place that really tries to take a, a long-term view and and one that tries to, to really look after our, our, our younger staff. But where it changes, the culture changes a bit in a crisis. Now, I saw this in 2008 and I'm seeing it right now is that generally speaking in the investment teams, for example, we let people follow their passions. I mean, our, our investment philosophy is if you can find a few absolute home runs that shoot the lights out, then that's what's going to make your portfolio return over, over, over the long run. And the best way of people doing that is by following things that they're very interested in. So we tend to have really quite, by some standards, quite unstructured approach people just go and look at companies they're interested in and this idea of of coverage how are you covering the market is very outdated but when it comes to a crisis we have to change the culture a bit because you need to give a bit more direction not only do you need to show leadership um, but you need to just give people jobs to do one of the things we we noticed in 2008 a a bit at bailey Gifford, certainly with our clients and certainly with some of our, our competitors is people actually stop doing their job um you know they, they, everybody's going around saying they're really stressed and know oh, what do you think about the markets and they, what are you actually doing and and so at times like these i think it's very helpful to give a bit more direction than we than we normally would and and in 2008 there was something that we did um which was a very useful exercise and we're doing it again now and that is looking at the balance sheets of the companies that we invest in. Usually we're spending a lot of time saying, look how much this company could grow over the next 10 years. It's worth five or 10 times the amount it is today, which is great, and that, we'll come back to that, but it has to be around in the first place in order to, to grow. Uh, and therefore right now, a number of our analysts are spending some time looking at the balance sheets of our companies as they did in 2008 to say, right, let's just check that this is gonna survive.
0: This is very difficult, though, from a behavioural analysis perspective. People are naturally trained to knee-jerk responses or maybe to trade on the negative as opposed to look for the positives. How do you guard against that?
1: First of all, it's difficult even normally, but it's extremely difficult now. So we we say things like, oh, don't read too much of the news and go and find different sources such as academia. And I think we've done a, a pretty good job of that. But if you look at um, you know behavioral studies then uh, and the power of bad, and you look at um, work by people like Kahneman and Tversky, a ratio of about four to one comes out that you know you you hear four times more negative news than you hear good news, or you have a four times stronger reaction to something going down than joy at some something going up. So to have a chance, you have to consciously combat that. You have to aim off for that. So in our our stock discussions, I think one thing that separates us from from many managers is that we spend most of the time looking at the upside. Um, how how well could this company do? Now we do need to check it's going to survive first, but then how well could it do, and, and how undervalued is it? Whereas I think most people's tendency is to spend most of the time knocking the case down and saying, "But what about this? But well, what about that?" And, and so, you know, for example, we have a, a rule in the team I work in that the first 20 minutes we discuss a stock, you are not allowed to say, if you're going to speak, you have to say something that contributes to the bull case. If you say, but, what about, you get kicked out of the room. Now, even after having this, you know, protocol for many years, you'd be surprised how often people still get kicked out of the room, because it's our natural tendency to be negative. So I think you need to put You know, conscious, almost formal things in place to combat, which is what is a natural instinct to be negative and one that is compounded for sure at the moment.
0: I mean, having perspective and staying calm is vital in these situations. How do you personally stay calm?
1: On a personal level, I think there's two things. One is that you need to get away from it all. So, playing a sport for me, it's tennis, but it could be it could be basketball it could be playing the guitar I don't know what it would be for something but it's something that you have to concentrate on the immediate thing in front of you right now otherwise you're going to muck it up and you you're forced to put everything else out your your mind um, and the other way would be for me would be literature Um <clears throat> as you probably know you know people at Bailey Gifford come from all sorts of disciplines we're quite unusual in that way typically in a financial services firm you'll have a lot of Economics or graduates or accountants or you know a lot of CFAs, and we tend to have people from you know, a lot more people from arts backgrounds so reading is is great and when when there's a bit of a crisis, I always think, well what's the the great novel or the wonderful book that I've read that is most akin to what we're living through now and what can I take from that and uh, and for this you know kind of crisis right now there there's a, a really obvious one that that I just put on my bedside table again last night and I started rereading. And what's that? Oh, it's the it's the plague by Albert Camus. Now he he wrote that in 1947. Well, he actually wrote it during the Second World War, published it in 1947. Won the Nobel Prize for it. But it's the story of the the bubonic plague coming and and terrorising this small uh, town in in Algeria. Uh, and the story is about the the heroics that you see, and also some of the the bad side you see from from human nature: the cowardliness, the self selfishness. And what Camus concludes at the end of the the plague, and uh, you know we really recommend people to re- to read it, of course, is that the crisis showed that there was more to admire in human beings than there was to despise and he He says at the end, future plagues will come and test future peoples, but the conclusion will remain the same, there is more to admire. And so as I'm kind of quietly going around, you know, sending out crisis comms and checking people, you know, still doing their work and stuff at Bailey am every interaction I'm slotting it into Camus' very simple moral existential framework for how do people behave in this crisis. And, you know, I'm happy to report that. I think that the good guys are well ahead at the moment. So um, I think, you know, human beings are very inventive and very innovative, particularly when there's a time of stress. That's when you see innovation come through, that's when habits change, and I actually think that we're very well positioned to deal with this now than compared to any point in our our history. That innovation
0: also happens in companies,
1: doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the first level is, is, you know, our are we keeping our business going, which is fine, and are we looking after our staff and are our clients okay? And are, you know, let's keep them calm and say, yeah, of course. If you need money back, we can give you that. That kind of stuff. And then you go into the portfolio, and and you look at some of the companies we've bought recently. We don't want to sound triumphalist about it. We don't want this to be happening. But if this is going to happen, the fact that you know we own a lot of shares in Zoom. I mean, how many people are? This, the the use of Zoom must be absolutely exploding worldwide right now. We bought a lot of shares in Peloton. Now, how many people are going to be doing their, you know, exercise bike stuff from home who, who were going to David Lloyd or Virgin Active or wherever, and they're all, they're all shutting? You look at Amazon. I mean, we already saw, you know, a huge move online in the last 10, 15 years. But some of the companies we own, like Amazon or, or Netflix or Alibaba, they're going to get a further shunt. In their direction, there's a further secular move because not only do people change the way they interact and behave now, but when things return to normal in inverted commas, it's not the same normal as before. You know, so, so I think in terms of our portfolios, you can make a very strong case for like Once this horrendous period is over, we have portfolios that are very well positioned in terms of the kind of companies they own to benefit from even more growth in the future. It, it just feels like it, you don't want to sound too, too arrogant about that right now because there's, there's a lot of kind of economic cataclysm for a lot of ordinary people to, to get through first.
0: And from an investment perspective, there'll be successes as well as failures. You deal very closely with a lot of our clients, Scott. Typically, what type of questions are they asking you? Well, the first question
1: they've been asking us is, um, are you okay? I mean, one of the things with Bailey Giverd is that, you know, we tend, our, our average duration of a client is about 15 years. Now, that means they're not just a client. You, you know these people. You've met them many of times. You've been through ups and downs with them. So so actually, the first, first one is kind of a are you all right question. The second one is are you able to continue, you know, doing the basics of your business, pricing funds every day, trading if need be, if, if a client needs their money back, that kind of thing. And we've been able to reassure them on that. And then the third question, which they're just getting around to now, because, I, you know, obviously there's a couple of weeks of adjustment and and a lot of our clients are working from home and it's not normal for them either, is, you know, is the portfolio going to be okay? What's the most recent performance telling us? You know, and obviously we usually avoid talking about very small periods of time performance. You You, you can't really take any meaning from them. But because it's been so spectacular, clients are keen to try and derive some kind of conclusion for how how's Bailey Giver doing, and even in 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 very short periods of time, where the market's been going down quite steep steeply, as you as you alluded to, our kind of companies are holding up pretty well. I mean, they're going down in value, you know, on the short term basis, but not relative to the market. Um, and most of them have very strong balance sheets, so most of them are going to survive. But coming back to your point about successes and failures, you know, one of the things that we try and be very tolerant of at all times is is things going wrong. Okay, if you're going to if you're going to be brave and buy some companies that might go up many times, then you're also going to buy some companies that are going to disappear altogether. So the fact that some of our companies will disappear over the next six months isn't actually that different, you know, to normal. Um, You know, we're used to that. We expect that. Arithmetically, it usually isn't that important for the return of the portfolio. What's important for the return of the portfolio is you have some of those home run winners. And as I I said a couple of minutes ago, I, I think we have quite a number of them. Scott, and what about liquidity? That's a very good point. That does become very much to the fore. For, for clients at a time like this, what one thing we we found in two thousand and eight is people talk about two thousand eight as oh equities fell forty five percent or whatever whatever the number was. Equities continued to function. I mean th- they worked, and and we found that in two thousand eight a number of our clients used us as a bit of a giant ATM machine because they couldn't get their money back from anywhere else. And so in that sense, we would question how uh, you know people think of risk. Because you know the the ultimate risk is that you you can't get your money back, and people talk about equities as though that's a risky asset class. Well, if it is the asset class that remains liquid in times of crisis, then you need to rethink how you how, how you apply this word risk to 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 equities. So a number of the questions we've had in the last couple of weeks have been you know if we needed some cash back, you know can you can you raise the money, and the answer is yeah of course we can. Um, we wouldn't advise you selling stocks at this level if you can avoid it, but actually, you know, the, the function of doing it is no problem. And we've been we've been delivering cash back to our clients in the last couple of days where where they've needed it.
0: And just to clarify, um, this podcast will be going to both institution and retail investors. That's more on the institutional side, isn't it? Yeah,
1: that, absolutely. I mean, obviously, if you're a retail investor, you're not trading in, in the volume that some of our clients are. So, I mean if liquidity isn't an issue for our institutional clients it's certainly not going to be for retail investors but the point about staying calm and I mean, unless the retail investor needs the money I don't know they, they have to pay for their house next week otherwise it doesn't go through and they need them unless it's something like that then you know I, I really don't think it's a good idea to be selling at this, at this stage Wait, even if you wait two years I know that's two years sounds like a long time now you'll probably think wow I'm so glad I, I didn't panic
0: Scott thanks very much for joining me and I hope you'll Join me again soon on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks. You can find our podcast short briefings on long-term thinking at bailegiff.com forward slash podcasts. And you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Tune in. If you enjoyed the podcast, please spread the word. And if you'd like to find out more about Bailey Gifford, our culture, and how we approach investing, Check out baythegifford.com forward slash about us. And many thanks to Lord of the Isles for the music. The track we've used is called Horizon Effect, which was released on permanent vacation. Until next time.